The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. And today's buzz is talent versus skills. Say what? Hey, let's go back in history a little bit. Do you remember the famous line from Samuel Coleridge's 1798 poem? I know, I know. The rhyme of the ancient mariner goes like this. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Well, here's my take for today. Talent, talent everywhere, but they can't find jobs. The bigger question is, what is HR doing about it? My panel of experts speak. you got to listen up. This is very important to everybody, this topic. We're going to start with Dr. Catherine Jones. She says businesses of all sizes have struggled to shift their resources toward growth markets, yet they find a shortage of talent and leadership holding them back. We call this, and I quote, the talent paradox. Companies need skills, yet Unemployment remains high. We do not really have a job shortage. We have a skill shortage. Why? And she'll be answering that question later on in the show. We're welcoming China Gorman. China says the changing demographics within the workforce are creating enormous challenges as baby boomers like me hang on for dear life and the millennials start pushing up that corporate ladder. The Xers, that's Gen X, are getting caught with nowhere to go. Ooh, we may miss a generation in the sweet Very powerful words from China Gorman. She knows what she's talking about, and she will explain in a few minutes. And rounding out the panel is Dr. Jan Grassoff from SAP, and he says 2013 is all about mobility, mental mobility of talents. Can't wait to find out what Jan means by that. Mental mobility of talents, mobile HR service delivery, mobile learning, mobile workplace, mobile organizations. This is a key role for HR to play. Hmm, also powerful. So join us for the next hour for HR on Alert, Talent versus Skills Paradox. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to our live edition. It is February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. Hope your plans are all set. We are Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. A quick note for my listeners. You have vast volumes of business data and they demand instant access and timely, insightful analysis. Where to go? SAP Honda to the rescue. Go to our page on Voice America Business Channel, click any banner, and you'll go to a page where you can get a free value calculator. Uh Uh-huh. Our gift to you. Now let's find out about my guest. Dr. Catherine Jones is Research Director, HCM TM Technology at Burson & Associates. Catherine focuses on research on the underlying technologies and services that support the management of a global workforce, including HR, hiring, performance management, success and leadership, and strategic workforce planning. Welcome, Catherine Jones. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from the San Francisco Bay Area. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And on short notice, appreciate the punt, and we think alike. So can't wait to hear your great insights and Burson's as well. China Gorman has held strategic business leadership roles in the human capital management sector for over 25 years. Currently, she is CEO of the CMG Group, a consultancy supporting solutions providers in the human capital management sector, HCM. China is a sought-after speaker and thought leader in the broad human resources marketplace. Welcome back, China Gorman. How are you? I'm great. It's a beautiful, sunny, warm day in Las Vegas. Whoa, okay, we'll play that. We'll find out what numbers to play. And Jan Grassoff is joining us from Germany. Jan is a senior vice president of talent leadership and organizational design at SAP. Jan is responsible for the HR Center of Excellence, which develops and implements global policies and practices in the areas of talent and people development, leadership, and organizational design. I can't wait to find out more about that. Welcome, Jan. How's the weather in Germany today? Well, I can't say it's really a sunny day. It's a beautiful winter day, so <laughs> I'm jealous, China, but it's a great day today. <laughs> okay, well, you could be jealous of me. We actually have a little sun as the snow starts to try to melt here in New York. So let's deep dive into these wonderful quotes my guests sent me. Let's find out what they're really trying to say. Catherine Jones, businesses of all size, let's get past that. Talk to me about the talent paradox. Companies need skills, but unemployment remains high. This is a... a a calling. This is a um, a mantra for our our culture, our country, maybe the world today. Catherine, talk to me about it. Absolutely, and I think it is a mantra for the world, and it's a mantra in every different part of employment. Um, on the one hand, we look at, at new hires, um, hourly workers maybe out of high school is one issue. Look at kids out of college trying to get their first job, and you know. Bonnie, right now, 45% of the employers looking at new college grads say they are woefully unready to go into the workplace, and that is just frightening. It's frightening on many levels, Catherine. It's frightening for the parents who were putting their mortgages and their businesses on the line to pay for those educations. It's frightening for the professors who were tenured and saying we're giving these kids what they need. It's frightening for the kids who are investing part of their youth in learning what they think are skills to prepare them for life. And it's most of all frightening for business. Paradox, paradox. They have what skills are they getting? Is it just that they're not worldly at that age, Catherine? Is it that they don't have any skills at all because it's all book learning. Give me a little little more, and then we're going to turn to China. Talk to me. Absolutely. Um, well, first, let's get to those professors. So, you know, I used to be a professor once, so mm-hmm. I can, you know, I, I'm pretty comfortable saying, well, you know, we really thought we were doing a great job. And we find that 72% of ed- educators really think those kids are prepared for work as they're coming out of school. But there's a couple things. It's not just their fault, and it's not that they're overly book-learned or woefully under-skilled. Um, it's that the skills are no longer matching up with what the world needs. We've seen increased specialization in the workplace. Like if you're an expert gamer, you could walk down the the streets of San Francisco or somewhere in Silicon Valley, and you would be just snatched up uh, probably multiple times for employment. But the flip side of that is that, one, they're very specialized, but two, if we think of it as the shelf life, the shelf life for skills is shrinking. So you need to retool over and over again. And we're looking at, especially we boomers, since, Bonnie, you admitted you were one as well. <laughs> I are. Uh, we're looking for, uh, we need to retool skills 
at a much more rapid rate than heaven knows that our parents ever, ever even considered. Very interesting. All good points. We have so much to talk about today. Let's turn to China Gorman. I understand you two know each other. China, you and Catherine are uh, colleagues, or you know each other from somewhere, right? We do. We've uh, we've done a little work together over the years. Very, we, very good. Always, yes. And we end up at the same events all the time, which is quite fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> interesting matchup here. So, China, we have to talk generations here. Great quote. You're saying creating enormous challenges as, oh, let's, let's really get to the bottom. The baby boomers are hanging on for dear life. You're scaring me here. The millennials are pushing up. The Gen Xers are caught in the middle with nowhere to go. And we may miss a generation in the sweet C-suite. These are, are <laughs> I want to uh, crochet this somewhere and or paint, paint it on the side of the train. So talk to me. This is heavy duty. Talk to be China. Well, you know, there's some recent research from the Employee Benefits Research Institute, EBRI, um, that says something like nearly 80% of baby boomers are not sure they're ever going to have the financial wherewithal to retire. Hmm. Hmm. So that, that doesn't mean um, uh, that they're going to not move out of the C-suite and not move out of, you know, high-pressure 40, 50, 60-hour-a-week jobs. It means they can't leave the economy. They need, they're going to need cash flow for many years going forward. And so organizations are going to have to start looking at, so how do we retain the skills that don't want to go and frankly retain the skills because the great institute despite what Catherine said um, and in addition to what Catherine said um, these baby boomers who need to really reskill on a much more rapid pace than they're comfortable with or than they ever have before they have incredible institutional knowledge cultural knowledge um, sector knowledge industry knowledge that doesn't reside anywhere else in the organization so at the meta level you know they've got what they need but at the ma- at the micro level they don't have the skills they need and so organizations really have to figure out in what way can we retain baby boomers cuz they they're not leaving uh in order to make room for the coming generations and to move some of the newer uh, more re- uh, readily attainable skills in the younger generations up into the organization but we are seeing this clash of the of the of the generations um, in in the workforce, and it really could be that we will skip a generation in the C-suite. Very interesting. A lot more to talk with you about during the show, and let's bring on Dr. Jan Grashoff. Jan says, 2013 is all about mobility. I have to ask you, what is the mental mobility of talents, Jan? That sounds very interesting. Talk to me. Well, the word war of talent is something which I didn't really like because I don't want to be at war. So thinking about the mindset um, of a lot of the talents is that, um, well, the highly sought-after talents, I mean, Catherine spoke about gamers, they're easily finding jobs somewhere else. What are we doing about that? So what are we having with this mental mobility? The example I use is for as long as you're not in heavy machinery, most companies have the biggest asset on their balance sheets is people. Mm-hmm. Now, our people leave us every evening, and we hope and pray they come back in the next morning. That is what I refer <laughs> to mental mobility, because we need our people. They are our IP to be successful in a rapidly changing innovation and technology environment. Very, very interesting. Now, talk to me also about mobile HR service delivery. What is that, Jan? Well, 
If you talk about the consumerization of IT, I mean, the end user is the king. In the past, um, service delivery was, I mean, you went to somebody and they delivered the service on premise or face-to-face or whatever word you would like to use. Now, we are so used to use our um, iPads, iPhones, Blackberries, whatever mobile device you have, and you want to consume at the time where you want to consume, at the location where you are, etc. So we in HR also have to think about how we bring services to the end user inside the company, across companies, etc. So the whole question about mobility is changing patterns, it's changing behaviors, and that's what it's all about. Jan, do you think we're talking about talent versus skills? This is a heavy question here, and we will get into this more later in the show when we go to the roundtable. Does HR have the skills today, the people in the leading organizations, let's start with the biggest enterprises, do their HR teams have the skills and the talent to understand this mental mobility, the mobile HR service delivery, the question of hanging on to the skills and depth the baby boomers bring, making sure the Xers don't get caught, and making sure the millennials are prepared as they go up the ladder and, and, and everybody cross-pollinates all that great depth of talent. Is HR prepared for this, John? Well, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm in HR myself, and I can speak about myself, and the answer is absolutely not. I mean, we need to make sure that this speedy wave of innovation, that we're not caught by the wave, but we serve the wave. So we need to think about it now. What skills do we need to actually deal with that? Yeah, that's uh, China and uh, Catherine. We're just about ready to go to break, but do you agree with Jan that HR is not prepared for this new wave of what's required? Well, this is, this is China. I think um, HR in the larger organizations, say the Fortune 300, who have budgets, who have staff, who invest in education and, and research, are much better prepared to respond and to um, serve the wave. I, I love that, Jan, serve the wave rather than cause it. And, and I think in many of the largest organizations, they really are. My concern is for the millions of other organizations where the, where the vast majority of our employees are who have small HR organizations who are just, who, who really are um, being crushed by the wave right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The wave is coming right in my face, and the wave says, Bonnie, it's time for a break, and I, I don't want to be buried by that wave. So we're going to stop talking for just a moment. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. My special guest today, Catherine Jones, China Gorman, Jan Grassoff. We have a great conversation going, and when we come back, we're going to find out what they're drinking today. What is fueling all that brain power, that mental mobility, I want to know. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that app, Brad. Out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. Let's do the coffee break part of Coffee Break with Game Changers. I want to know what's in your cup today or the best beverage you ever had in your cup. Catherine Jones from Burson, what are you drinking? I am drinking Torrefazione, an Italian, uh, nice, strong Italian blend, because, you know, I am not a morning person, and nothing gets you up like an Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a first on the show. Thank you very much. We're going to have to put an X rating on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate it. My imagination is going wild here. China Gorman, what are you drinking? (laughs) Well, I, I, uh, not Italian. Um, so I'm, I'm a coffee drinker. Um, but not a discriminating one. So last night on my way home from a meeting, I stopped at Starbucks. I got a venti bold, uh, put it in the refrigerator, which I know now everyone who loves coffee is cringing, and I popped it in the microwave 15 minutes ago so that it would be hot so I could drink hot coffee while we're speaking. I think you've just broken all the rules for good coffee. But I know, it still I sa- know. Sounds good. Nothing happens to it in the fridge? It doesn't get a little acidic? No. And it's st- See, I'm not really? just discriminating. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> the things you always wanted to know about Catherine Jones and China Gorman, you're in the <laughs> right place. Okay, Jan, it's your turn. We need a revelation from you. What are you drinking today, Jan Grassoff? So it's the end of my day. So if I tell yes. you that I have a Long Island iced tea in my cup, you, there you go. can be safe Whoa. that this is really not work time. But there is actually a real hobby I have about Long Island iced tea. There's only one cocktail I drink in the world everywhere I go. I actually went to Long Island because I thought that must be special. I couldn't really it is. tell. But <laughs> I went into the same re- recipe across the world. It tastes different everywhere. So that is I'm a Long Island iced tea Fanatic, whatever you call it. Well, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here broadcasting from Long Island, New York, Jan, and I won't take offense at what you said. We are special. We are only 25 <laughs> minutes from Manhattan. That makes us even more special. But more to your point, I think the Long Island iced tea is customized depending on the pouring strength of the wrist of the bartender. You think? Okay, Maybe? and you have to invite me to Long Island Island. I take you up on that offer to find out what's special there. <laughs> Anytime. We'll go on a tour of all the Long Island iced tea emporiums all over Long Island. That would be delightful. Now, let's get into our roundtable. We're having too much fun here. Catherine Jones, I want to read a quote you sent me from Klaus Schwab, chairman of World Economic Forum. This is uh, he- and more heavy stuff. While we're having fun, we're also hitting some really important issues. Everybody listening, this affects you whether you're an employer, whether you're an HR person at your employer, whether you own a company, whether you're entering the workforce, wherever you are in the employment ladder. So the quote is, we have entered a global economy where talent and skills shortages challenge world economic and business growth around the world. Very important. So let's take this high-level view. Catherine, talk to me a little bit about why you sent me this quote. Sounds very interesting. What's the business impact? Absolutely. And to back up to go forward, uh, we've just done a study on um, leadership development in China. 
uh, because, you know, it's a rapidly growing economy and somewhere we were looking specifically at multinational companies that go to China and then maybe have an expat at the leadership realm but want to train indigenous Chinese to assume those positions. And here we have a gap. And I suspect that as we look across the world in almost every uh, every country, whether you're an expat-run country, a company in those places, or you're indigenous, there is exactly what China said. There is this gap in the, or pending gap in the C-suite, because partly we don't have the skills for true leadership on the one hand, being developed carefully, and we kind of forgot about this during the recession, but mm-hmm. secondly, as we look at the incredible differences in business cultures across the world, we are fine, we are not adapting and grooming people um, throughout management positions in ways, in different um, environments, different cultures, to actually be global leaders. Now, there's what? a gap. There's a gap. And what does it take to be that kind of leader? We can get to that later, but I'd like you to think about answering, what does it take to be a leader? Do you have to be a, a digital pencil pusher to make sure all the forms are filled out and your team delivers on time? Do you, I'm sorry. Do you, have to, do you have to be a creative inspirer of your people, of your teams, to get them to stretch and grow and have a vision? Uh, is it a combination of both? We'll talk about that more. I want to bring in China here. China, you sent me uh, a quote of your own. That, that touches on what we've talked about with Catherine. I want to keep at the high level right now. Mm-hmm. You say that HR that is practiced at the Fortune 500 level, and I'm guessing at the 300 level you just mentioned, right. is very, very different from HR practiced in organizations with 5,000 or fewer employees. Now, let me preface before you speak, uh, China, before you answer. We have a, a broad-based listenership for SAP Game Changers Radio. We're on the business channel. By the way, I'm, I now can document that we're being listened to in almost 30 countries. I have the list of people who are finding us, 30 countries around the world. That's a lot. And we don't know exactly who these listeners are. We know that they care about business information. That's why they come to us. But my suspicion is that some of them are in startups. Many of them are in small to midsize. And we probably have a good contingency or a good following from large enterprise. So this is a great topic for our broad audience. China, talk to me. Fortune 500 HR and 300 different from... 5,000 or fewer. How is it different? What does this mean to to this big topic of talent versus skills, please? Well, and and so let's make it global and not just the Fortune 300. You know, any major um, size uh, enterprise with probably... You know, 50,000 employees or more, you know, that, that's kind of the, the line of demarcation because that HR department, um, organization probably, um, has, uh, has rapidly recovered both their budget and their staff. Uh, if they lost either during the economic downturn a couple of years ago, um, they never stopped investing in innovation. They never stopped investing in the development of people and their own HR staff. So, you know, um, to use, you know, quote Jan again, they, they are they are serving the wave. In fact, maybe they're even on a surfboard, you know, and really maneuvering uh, on the wave. And, and I think other organizations of smaller size, those HR budgets haven't been restored yet, their staffs haven't been restored yet, and around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world, the, the regulatory 
um, issues are just piling and piling and piling on top of HR. And so in smaller organizations, HR is more focused, I think, these days on meeting regulation, compliance, those kinds of things, because they don't have the budget, they don't have the people, um, and they don't have the standing in the organization to be you know, cruising the wave as opposed to being um, being crushed by it. So the, so the HR experience as it relates to what kind of talent do we have, what kind of talent do we need, is very, very different. And I, I think it comes down to the larger organizations with the budget and the standing can be proactive. The smaller organizations without the budget, without the staff, uh, without the standing have to be reactive. Thank you very much, China. Jan, of course, I want to bring you into this. And Jan, I want to take one of your talking points and go back to my, the L word, leadership. You say leadership is all about behavior and mindset. And senior executives can learn leadership from younger talent who are not even people managers yet. This sounds revolutionary to me, or is it evolutionary? Jan Grasov, talk to me. Well, I think there was a lot of emphasis um, put on hierarchies, and then you have all the benefits of, okay, I become a leader, and then learning from each other. I mean, leaders teaching leaders, etc., is a concept which is not revolutionary, but, I mean, it's something which, I mean, lifelong learning also for leaders doesn't mean that you can only look up the hierarchy. What I think is really necessary here is this, what you said, the behavior or the mindset, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you think, although you may be employed, and to China's point, in a very large corporation, as a leader, you need to think like an entrepreneur. You need to have what I call the GM mindset, the general manager mindset. And that means, as an entrepreneur, if you were a startup and you are a one-person company, well, you don't have people management responsibilities, but you need to think end-to-end. What is my product? What is my market? How do I make sure that my product hits the market right? How do I get people behind me who are not reporting to me because I don't have money to employ people? These things, we lose them in big corporations easily because we feel now in the hierarchy, I'm the leader just by title. Very interesting. I, I want to flip this around. We've been talking about people trying to find jobs and keep jobs. Let's turn it around. If you're a job seeker today, and we have about three minutes till break, I'm going to open this up. Anybody just chime in. If you're seeking a job today, let's say you're reasonably skilled, um, 20s, 30s, good education, would you be looking? <laughs> would you be looking at the leadership of the company, not just at the executive executives in the C-suite, but at how HR runs the company? before you consider joining an organization. Is that such a thing anybody even thinks about, uh, China, Catherine, Jan? Well, one thing that we see, this is Catherine, is what, they're, what people looking at new jobs are really looking at are the career paths, identified career paths in the institutions that they're thinking about joining in a way that they never did before. There's, uh, even if they're unemployed and are facing a job, there's a little bit of like, what's in it for me, not with the starting job, but where can I go from this job? And it's incumbent then on um, HR folks to be able to articulate what a career path in that organization looks like. And that's going to do for them. Uh, this is China. I think also, yes. um, I don't know that, that the average job seeker who's looking for a marketing job or a sales job or a code writing job looks to how progressive or how involved the HR department is. I do think they look at the senior leadership and the long-term prospects for the company. Jan said, you know, general managers, um, people need to be thinking like general managers and, and entrepreneurs. And I think lots of job seekers are because 
you know, they've been buffeted around by the economy and by employers for a long time. People who are looking for jobs now have been unemployed for a long time, and maybe this isn't, and this probably isn't the first time they've been looking for a job. So they're going to be very interested in the long-term prospects of the organization that they're joining, not just from a compensation perspective, but from a sustainability perspective. If I decide to join this company, is it still going to be here in five years? Mm-hmm. Very important. Like Am I going to still going to want to work? Yes, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Sorry, Bonnie, but I just want to like to build on what China just said. I think mm-hmm. I, my experience is that people are not looking for the career clarity. This question where you see yourself in five or ten years, right. they want to join a company where they have opportunities to grow, not necessarily mm-hmm. only vertically, but just grow in various areas to enrich their skill base, to really grow their own brand, so to speak, because they are worth more, because they have a broad base of experience. You will always have these niche expert skills, but I feel that this becomes less and less important to a lot of people because as the industry is changing so big, the that whole talent landscape is changing massively, people don't want to invest for years into a skill which might not be relevant in three years. So they rather try to go, if you think about a T-shape kind of, they rather try to go broad which company is helping me to stay relevant across my career? Right. Exactly. Thanks. Anybody want to do a parting word for this segment? I'm 30 seconds away from break, so if anybody wants to come in on Jan, jump in. Ladies? Oh, just really quickly here, <coughs> uh, that idea of a career la- a ladder, that mm-hmm. vertical thing that we used to hear about, has been replaced by exactly what Jan has just said, and that's more of a, of a lattice where job rotation across an organization has become much more valuable than will I get promoted from a junior to a senior in um, uh, a year? And, and what's ironic, what's ironic <laughs> yes. about that fact, because I really believe that that's true, is the millennials, I mean the, uh, the Xers, are really good at that because that's, that's all they've got right now. And so it's interesting that what they're really good at is the future, but it's kind of like the future isn't quite here yet because of the generational pressures. Sounds very complicated to me. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Our topic today is HR on Alert, Talent versus Skills Paradox. My experts are Dr. Catherine Jones, China Gorman, and Dr. Jan Grassoff. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that app. When we come back, our roundtable will dive deep into the question of talent versus skills. How will we prepare our workforce to get those jobs? And let's change what the president is saying about unemployment next time around. Don't even think. Think of touching that app, Brad. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business
you're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Okay, we have a, an interesting topic here. We're talking about skills versus talent, HR being on alert, workforce, all the different generations coming together, leadership, power organizations of all sizes, coping, how slow is HR to react? I'm going to kick this off with China Gorman. China, you told me this before the show, very interesting, very, everybody will relate to this. In many organizations, HR social media strategies equal trying to keep employees off of Facebook while they're at work. But let's talk about why social media is so important to employees and how do they hone those skills that will be valuable to help them get the good job so let's let's mash this all up together start me off on this segment please china gorman well you know social media is a a very small sliver of of social technology and it's um, we all know about social media because of Facebook, because of Twitter, um, because of LinkedIn, and then the masses of other um, social media sites that really enable people to connect, to communicate, to form groups, um, and, and to collaborate. If you move way up, the, way up the food chain to really social technology, this is how businesses are beginning to really relate to their customers. And, and I liked what, what Jan um, was saying earlier about HR needing to think like a general manager and an entrepreneur. I think where we're headed and social media, but really social technology, is reframing the way uh, employers relate to their employees so that employees are really more like customers. And as the skills shortage shortages gets bigger and bigger around the world, the the necessity to really treat employees like customers who have a choice to come to work every day, just like customers have a choice to buy one product over another, I think in many ways will radically transform how or the the basis the basics of an employer employee relationship, but also all of the tools and all of the ways in which HR um, connects with employees on the vast range of topics that they need to be working with employees on. Thank you, China. Jan, I want to talk about your – I know you're going to jump in. I want to talk to Jan about the holistic view of people careers and, and CVs. And you say standard career paths apply less and less. HR and businesses must be open to disruptive careers. Now, disruptive career used to sound like somebody who was acting out at work and needed to be shown to the door. Now, is that a good thing, Jan? Well, let me tell you a real-life story, which I um, yes. experienced firsthand in, in South Africa. I was working for a bank, and we were, looked for a, were looking for a very senior sales manager. A lot of people applied. I mean, normal job posting, normal careers you would expect. And there was a guy who applied who was, for the last 10 years, a lighthouse keeper. So normally, I mean, in the standard world, you would just say, okay, well, doesn't have the qualification, doesn't have the skills, so out of the door. And actually, and I cut the long story short, we hired the person who was the best ever performing sales guy. Why? Because this person was well reflected for 10 years, had time to think about everything while that light was turning. And then secondly, this person was desperate to be in human contact. And this person was the best sales guy ever. It taught me a lesson. Let's not go down the traditional route. Let's be open to what I call disruptive careers, what you just mentioned, because we might have missed talent 
we probably haven't seen the skills in the CV, but we might have missed talent. And I'd like to build on what China just said, and I love the mm-hmm. phrase social technology. I think very often in HR we were afraid on whatever the private life looks like. Okay, now you have your suit, it's like a uniform, you come to work and life is different. <laughs> when I said earlier, consumerization of IT, we are actually working with something like a Facebook for the enterprise where we leverage success factors. Why are we doing that? Because people want to build their brand in the company. They want to show pictures. They want to personalize. They're not a number in the company. So talking about social technology, collaboration tools, building brands, engaging in different ways than emails and meetings is relevant for these people because these, specifically the younger one, but I mean, whatever younger is, it's probably <laughs> 40 is young, so to speak. They all want to make sure that they have a work-life integration. It's not a completely different thing at work than they have in their private life. Thank you. And, and Catherine Jones, time to get you in on this, this party here. You say the world has become much younger. I don't know whether to say ouch or yay. You say mm-hmm. by the end of 2017, nearly half the workforce will be under the age of 35, going to Jan's comment about 40. <clears throat> this alone is transforming our organizations. How do we, how do we work with these people? Uh, <laughs> I just am tongue-tied here. Talk to me, Catherine Jones. Absolutely. Well, one of the key things is that, uh, to use Jan's phrase about mobility, they, um, as they get more and more skilled, they get more and more mobile. So here is a real, another paradox for companies today. We are often obligated to teach the skills that we want on the job. And then the more skilled the uh, employees get, the more valuable they are, not only to our corporation, but to our competitors' corporation. So they're likely to get poached, if you will. And um, uh, kids or youngsters or just workers today, let's put it that way, are more likely uh, to leave than they ever were during the, the recession, for example. But I did a study of people who were employed in 2000 and between 2007 and 2009 in the heart of the recession. And at that point, 71 people of the employees said they would leave as soon as the economy got better. They would jump ship from their current employee, employer. And actually, the economy never got enough better for them to actually do that. And that was probably a, you know, I've watched all my friends getting laid off around me. I'm doing their work. This is not, not good. But more interestingly, it's right now, um, we've only found a few more than half of employees today think that their employer is a sound long-term place to work. Mm-hmm. So here is exactly the conundrum for companies today. Do we train them at high skills uh, and then have them leave right away? How do we retain them once we get them to the skill level we need? You know that's so that's so interesting, Catherine. I I um I did a study uh, a survey just about a year ago, um with a with a client and uh, asked young people graduating from college about to enter the workforce, how many years do you expect to stay at your first job? And almost fifty percent of them said five years or more. Mm. So there's something there there's. There's a, there's a willingness and a wanting to engage and make a long-term commitment by young people entering the economy, you know, really sort of for the first time. But then something happens and they're, you know, it's the equivalent of gone in 60 seconds. They're, you know, the average tenure of folks, you know, in that sort of under 25 
um, age range is really a year and a half. They they join up expecting to stay for more than five years, and 22% of them for 10 or more years, and yet the average 10 years, a year and a half. So there's something hap- something not happening within organizations once these young people join. Maybe it's reality. <laughs> Maybe yes. they're... Uh, you know, I was, essentially very naive about the way the world works, but there is a there is a willingness to commit that somehow employers are missing. So and I'm going to call it the first go, first job shock. Go ahead, go ahead, guys. <laughs> we could go right back to education and mm-hmm. look at if they're they're not being prepared realistically for the world of work. Right. So that there's some that disconnect is what I thought work was and then what work is. <laughs> um, or I enter and what happens to me next isn't it's, isn't positive or engaging right. or moving right. me or alienating or, even. Yeah, well, or it's the what organization I, um, uh, employee value proposition that that they were sold on in the recruitment process doesn't match with the reality of the employee experience. And we know that happens in real life. I call it first job shock or resume building. I just made that up. But the first job is really hot damn. Excuse my French here. Hot damn. I got a job. I think I'll stick around for a year and a half. That sounds credible. And then I'm just going to spend that year and a half growing. But I'm going to be looking and looking everywhere. Let's go back to the U word I brought up, that wonderful politicized word, unemployment. How do we reconcile? And I'm going to ask a very specific question, all three of you. How do we reconcile how a job ad, if you will, whether it's on monster.com or the ladders, whatever pay point you're at, how do we reconcile the reality of how a job is described with what the job is really like when you get there? And how do we hone the job ads to what the skill sets are out there? And then how do we go back into the world of employment and say, these are what our jobs are going to look like in the next five years. Would you please give your students internships and hands-on <laughs> job skills so that they can fill these jobs? Because, damn it, my company really needs good skill workers. That's a lot to think about, but I'm going to let anybody jump in. Who wants to take it? Bonnie, can I go first as yes. speaking? Because yes. I'd like to be a bit provocative here. Please I, do. And I don't own recruiting in our company, so I can probably speak freely here about what the <laughs> job ads Two comments I would like to make is I think what's really important is, first of all, to be honest. So we spoke about the expectation mismatch just earlier. But to be more honest, and I mean, if somebody who wants structure like a bank goes into a startup like a Google or Facebook, I mean, the culture clash is big. So let's be honest. Let's talk about culture and values and things like this. Now, I know that sounds very, very fluffy, and the recruiters might have difficulty. So what are the 10 requirements? And if somebody is 9 out of 10, he's out of the list, etc. But yes. that is what matters. Do people fit? Talking about yes. fit and mm-hmm. cultures and values is the yes. thing which matters to make sure that people stay. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Go ahead. Who's that? That is so true, uh, Jan. Um, but, you know, we haven't cracked the code on what constitutes fit yet. So the the day that we could figure out, um, you know, people do assessments, there's all sorts of things, but, but really looking at what makes that employee fit uh, or that new candidate likely to fit in the organization is is um, really an interesting <clears throat> problem for us all. And, you know, there's never a day where the employee is going to be more engaged than that very first day at work, and it kind of 
slides downhill after that. Oh, yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're at our final break. When we come back, it's time for you. I'm going to give you 57 seconds to polish off your crystal ball right now during the break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what you see in the future, perhaps as far out as 2018. Talent versus skills paradox. We're going to ask Catherine and China and Jan to give us their predictions. This is very heavy. Everybody, don't even think of touching that app. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Go refresh your cup, but you don't want to miss this one. We'll be right back. Brad, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we have late-breaking news. Malcolm had a cup of Equator Coffee's Alligator French this morning, and now he's in the (laughs) office with Starbucks. Malcolm is my co-producer and chief tweeter designated extraordinaire, and he is capturing all of your words of wisdom on Twitter. So anybody wants to see what we've really been talking about, go to hashtag SAP Radio. Follow the stream. Okay, it's time for our crystal ball. My guests had 57 seconds to polish off that crystal ball. Let's see what they have to say about talent versus skills paradox in 2018 or as far out or as near term as your crystal ball tells you. Let's start with Catherine Jones from Burson. What do you see, Catherine? Well, the first thing I see is that that skill gap is probably going to have to be addressed by the corporations themselves. And that means a whole different look at the way that we do look at corporate training and employee training in the, in the workplace. It has to be in context. It has to be just in time. It has to be really relevant, not the old-fashioned sit down in front of your e-learning environment and sit through, you know, three hours of course and have a quiz. Um, that's, that's so old school. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> sound kind of weird, doesn't it? But, learning is moving in context and every time you need to know something it's got to be there quickly it can be a blend of of formal and informal but when we're looking at skills those are very specific uh, things that people need to know it's pretty tangible Um, and therefore here's the real gotcha for what all of us are facing in the future and that is that HR and those responsible for training have got to become visionaries and look at not mm-hmm. how do I skill people up for today, it's how do I, what do I need tomorrow? And we are not used to doing that. It, uh, if we go beyond long-term strategic workforce planning, people aren't 
there yet. They're thinking, well, what do I have to staff in next August? That is not the question. So when you look at the dearth of skills coming out of kindergarten today, and you look at what does that mean in uh, the years that we're going to be hiring in the future, we've got to think very, very differently about how we train our employees. Thank you. Great insights, Catherine. Let's turn to China Gorman. China, what does your crystal ball show you? And can we go as far out as 2018 with you? Oh, sure we can. Um, I'm actually I'm looking at a chart on my computer from um, the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics um, that shows uh, the number of new jobs being created by education category between 2010 and 2020. So from doctoral, professional degree, to master's degree, to bachelor's degree, associates. So here's the interesting thing. The projection of jobs being created over the next 10 years, more than half of them require a high school diploma or equivalent or less than high school. More than half. And so this is truly a paradox. As we fight the battle between business and and, and the education structure, and this is not just in the United States, this battle is happening in every country around the world, um, for business and organizations and employers pleading with the educational institutions to to deliver to us talent that we can actually put to work without, without remediation. The truth is, however that the majority of jobs that, that business is creating doesn't require a four-year college degree. It doesn't require even some college. It requires a high school degree or less. And yet, the, the, the young people coming to us into the economy with high school degrees still are not able to be employed without remediation. So that's one side of the paradox. I think the other side of the paradox for HR, as, they, as their role shifts in organizations, as organizations are shifting because of the application of social technology, not just social media, is that HR is going to have to become more um, savvy and skilled themselves in technology and more savvy and skilled in marketing. Because the bottom line is particularly for those employees who are both talented and skilled, Mm -hmm. they are consumers of work. And employers are going to have to start looking at the talent community as consumers and changing the way they do the the recruiting and the talent acquisition uh, process to more of a marketing process than a recruiting process. Wow. Wow, that's that's something to write down and remember. And Jan Grassoff, what do you see five years ahead? Can you go that far for me? Well, if I could, I would probably not be here on the show, sorry to say. <laughs> I would love to be here. But um, I, as a consensus-driven German, let me offer the following view, because talking about talent versus skills, Yes. Well, maybe it's in the middle. So the way I would define it, and I might be completely wrong, but in my thinking is skills is very often looked to very much functional and technical and skills, so hardcore skills kind of, and talent very much looked into like potential, general management, future, etc. Well, if we club both together, and that is where I see the future is, and that I've tried to allude to that earlier, is this entrepreneurial skills which is not as heavily domain expertise. At the same time, is you need to be able to play in all areas in order to have this general manager mindset entrepreneur. It still needs skills. I mean, you can't only be a marketeer and have a nice idea. You also need a product. It's a combination. I actually see a convergence of these two. 
And we spoke about earlier, both Catherine and China alluded to this lifelong learning and what I always call informal learning, because mm -hmm. there is no such thing like the education and the PhD will make you have a great career. There is all this informal learning, peer learning, peer coaching, social media, all of this will help you to actually bridge talent and skills. So it's not versus for me, it will be a convergence. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. You know, I think I, oh, I have four minutes to go. I need two minutes. I'm going to open up a question to all of you. Do you think it would make sense if kids in high school, who sounds like they're going to be a vast part of the workforce coming up, uh, kids in, in high school should take a look, or let's, let's push it up. Let's say uh, high, uh, college sophomores should pick a job that appeals to them and spend the next two or three years of their education honing the skills so that they can successfully get the job they have their eye on. Does that make sense as an approach? Uh, first, Catherine, give me 15 seconds here. What do you think? Uh, actually, I don't think that makes sense. Um, okay. Unless you want to be a veterinarian or a doctor and, that, and you're just committed on doing that, that kind of thing. But if we look at the world of corporate work in general, I don't think that makes sense. I think that the best thing we can do in college, in all honesty, is teach people how to learn and that they learn that there's a variety of disciplines out there uh, that touch on how people think. I mean, after, uh, a little sociology, a little psychology, enough to understand history and science and, and um, know how one does, how one does research, if you will, how one learns in a discipline. And then I think you've got the flexibility of mind to be able to um, have the tolerance for ambiguity when you go into a, into mm -hmm. your first job, but to learn how to learn in a specific context and know that there's different ways in different contexts. And Thank yes, you, hopefully Catherine. you'll find one you like better than another. Good, Catherine. I can China give you 15 seconds. Agree with uh, <coughs> agree with Catherine. I do, I do actually. Um, but I'd go to high school. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to college. Um, and I'd put a, a really strong focus on keeping kids in high school till they graduate. And having that graduation really mean something that they can do basic math, that they can read and write, that they can speak, and that they have some some social skills. Because if you have those and a high school um, and a high school um, uh, diploma. Uh, yes. you are, you are employable in a vast number of kind, of kinds of jobs. And so I wouldn't even focus on college yet. I'd focus ah. on keeping kids in high school and getting them to graduation and making sure that that diploma really does mean something. Great points. Thanks. Jan, I can give you exactly 15 seconds. We're almost out. Talk to me. So I give you a decisive perhaps, perhaps it makes sense. Building on China is I think we need to focus on passion, on love, on energy, and a balance on EQ and IQ. It's not on IQ, your skills you have on EQ. Once you have the passion, you will thrive in the job. So it's perhaps because it's not as extreme, don't matter what skills you have and what you want to do, but I think it's more than just your skills. Have passion and EQ and balance that with IQ. Thank you all. It's time for my predictions. I've got mine written down here. Coming up on Coffee Break with Game Changers, Wednesday, the 20th of February, one of our favorite topics, we return to mobility. This time we're going to look at enablement, BYOD, bring your own device to work, and Voldemort. I found out who Voldemort was yesterday. We'll be talking about that. Wednesday, February 27th, Precision Retail. Say what? And Wednesday, March 6th, Telco 2.0 and the Mobile World Congress wrap-up. I want to do my thank yous to Dr. Catherine Jones, extraordinary and say hi 
hi to Josh Burson for us. And China Gorman, thank you. Lovely to have you back. Dr. Jan Grassoff, a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for joining the panel. And some shout-outs here. Anka Rebel, Malcolm Kimberlin, Liz Brenner, Grace Chu, thank you so much. Dave Fletcher and Josh Burson, of course, at uh, at Burson. And to Brad and the Business Channel team. And now here's my my prediction for you. Hey, make it a great day. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll see you here live next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.